Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots Editor-in-Chief, here with the Managing Editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hey, y'all. Maisha, today we're speaking with our youngest guest yet on It's Lit, but mm-hmm. she's definitely more accomplished than a lot of people twice her age and is doing some seriously amazing things, so we just had to talk to her. Our guest today is Marley Diaz, activist and creator behind the Thousand Black Girl Books. And author Marley Diaz gets it done, and so can you. Marley is also adding TV show host to her resume as well, as she is now host of the new Netflix series, Bookmarks, Celebrating Black Voices. I mean... This young woman has done more. And it's wild to say she's a young woman because I feel like Marley has actually grown up before our eyes. (laughs) Um, She's 15 now and she's done more in her 15 years than I think I've done in the last 15. (laughs) So, you know, I am so impressed with her and she's so poised and aware and just, I mean, what an incredible person to talk to right now. I think at a time when we really need that kind of inspiration for the future, right? Oh, of course. She reminded me a bit of myself at that age, you know. Did she? So (laughs) poised and mature and, (laughs) you know, and intelligent. I was just like, yes. It was like looking into a a Black girl mirror. I loved it. Uh, She's (laughs) so amazing. Of course, you know, the book that I wrote at 13 was trash. So we don't have that in common. Like, she definitely, definitely wrote a book that people wanted to read and was worth publishing. I'm sad to say that that was not the case with me. But let's, you know, forget all that. <laughs> well, look, at 13, I was just beginning to write songs. So there you go. I mean, you know, I, I never wrote anything that was over three minutes. But um, I see no reason to delay any further with our teenage angst. Let's get to the interview with Marley. Awesome. All right. Hi, Marley. Hi. How are you guys? I'm excellent. Oh, nice to see you. No, oh, it's a, but yeah. nice. <laughs> yes, you too. So welcome to It's Lit. Thank so you far, for having me. <laughs> so far, you are our youngest guest ever on It's Lit. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not surprised. That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Yeah. Hearing that statement often. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's yes. kind of a joke because we just launched, so. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, but, so you're the record holder for right I'm now. I'm proud to be. Where's my trophy? <laughs> <laughs> so since you're the creator of a thousand Black girl books, we think you might be also one of our most well-read guests. It could happen. Mm-hmm. And we typically like to start each episode by asking all of our guests to name at least one book that has been life changing for them. So has there been one book or maybe a series of books that has been especially meaningful to you? 
Well, I couldn't say life-changing only because my life has been very short so far, (laughs) but I would say that Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson is my favorite book I've ever read and one of the books that I think I relate to the most. Amazing. Oh, I love that. I love that. Jacqueline Woodson used to be one of my neighbors, so I love that so much. (laughs) So in 2019, we at The Root honored you as one of our young futurists. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, it's no (laughs) problem because we knew that you were destined for even bigger things. And this year you launched the Netflix series, Bookmarks, Creating Black Voices, recruiting some of our favorite stars to read Black children's books. How did that project come about? So the project came about um, really through two things. So in my head, I always knew that I wanted to translate some of the ideas I had about representation into like a television show or a YouTube channel or uh, a Patreon. I I knew that there was another level as to what I wanted to do, but I wasn't just sure exactly how that was going to happen. And because, you know, I'm not a professional actor and I did never, I never planned on being a real, um, in the arts in in that way. I knew that it was going to be a hosting opportunity or a a talk that I published. And I thought about it for a long time and there wasn't really an opportunity on the table for that just yet. But then my mom talked to me about it and she told me that there was there was a big, big project that was coming my way that um, and that, that Netflix was interested in having me be a part of not only the conception of the project, but also as someone that is a part of the project as an actor and as a reader. So I knew that they wanted my help originally to figure out what books were needed, how we were going to tell the stories and who was going to be involved. But uh, it also translated into me, you know, being the fun host and, and getting to be the face that kids recognize when they watch the show. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. And what's the process like in choosing what books to feature? So um, we actually worked alongside a really, really cool academic, Dr. Kevin Clark, who studies both diversity and inclusion and education for especially Black kids. So he was able to come up with a curriculum. So originally in the first meeting I had with um, my director and the showrunners and everyone, we had a curriculum first. And it wasn't necessarily a script or lines or anything else. We knew that we wanted to be a, a learning kind of model that was the show was based around. Um, and it was super important to do that. So when it came to selecting books, we focused on books that had messages of um, identity, respect, justice, and action. And with the order of the series and the order of the episodes, it also kind of follows that. So it starts off with the book, I Love My Hair, read by Tiffany Haddish. And that's about identity and loving who you are. And it ends with my book, We March. Well, not my book, but the book I read, <laughs> We March by Shane Evans, which is right back there, um, <laughs> which is about taking action and protesting. So it was super important that we were we had a plan as to what the books needed to represent and show beyond just like a fun character or beautiful bright imagery but also making sure that there were lessons and that the lessons made sense in the order that you would watch the episodes you know i, I have to say i have a a 5 year old niece and a 7 year old nephew and they love books and they love the show <laughs> so, so i'm going to thank you for for doing that and you also published your own book in 2018, Marley Dias gets it done, and so can you. And so, you know, when you wrote that book, and I love this part, you said that it imagined a world where Black girls were free to be complicated, honest, human, to have adventures and emotions unique just to them, a world where Black girls' stories mattered. And I write about Black girls and Black women's stories for The Root and I think we're still trying to fight to be complicated and honest. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about that process of writing a book and and if you have interest in writing another? 
So um, when it came to writing Marley Dines Gets It Done and So Can You, it was a difficult process because I had never kept a secret from my friends before about anything. And I didn't really think, I didn't really know what anyone was going to expect, but it was really important for me because a lot of kids ask and want to talk to me about what are the everyday steps? What can I do? Like, I have a really bright idea, but I don't think anyone will care about it. So it was important for me to get kind of some of my thoughts and ideas, but it's obviously not a memoir because there is only so much that a 13 year old can tell you about (laughs) life experiences and challenges. So, you know, in in the places that I, I lack experience sometimes, you know, facing certain issues that adults face that kids don't and dealing with people and and new environments that I haven't been exposed to yet. I try to make up for it with facts about history and talking about books that I love to read and sharing my favorite foods and what I like to wear and my family. So it was important for me to not only talk about my own experience, but to understand that I'm still not the the perfect answer. I'm not the the Jedi master of activism and youth activism. So there's a, a parts of it that are specifically saying that I've experienced success in these ways from doing these things. And I believe that they can help you, but also that I don't know everything. And I've had struggles trying to figure out what messages I want to send and kind of who I want to be as a teenager and as an activist. I mean, I love your sense of self-awareness, you know, because I do think, you know, so early on we are... You know, we're often, we were talking about this uh, earlier amongst ourselves. You know, we we have an issue with Black children not being allowed to just be kids, right? Like, you're not allowed to just be a girl or be a boy. And, you know, there's all this, like, kind of imposed adulthood on you. So I love hearing you say things like, yeah, well, you know, my life experience is limited. I'm still learning, you know. But is there one big piece of advice that you would give to young people like you who want to make a big impact on their community or their world in the way that you have? I think uh, a piece of advice I would give is to understand that you cannot do anything alone. I think a lot of times because I do the interviews by myself and I solely kind of represent 1000 Black Girl Looks because it's my idea and came from my own personal frustration, it's all with my mom. Like I can't do this without my mom at all. I don't think there's a day I, I have gone with, of, you know, any success or work with the campaign that hasn't been related to her. And I always, you know, shout her out. You know, my dad's there too. He's there. He gets to drive <laughs> me, helps me around, you know, does what he can. But he wasn't really raised around a framework that kids uh, um, were able to make change. And it wasn't just physical things that could change the world, but actually, you know, like research and, and and kind of more intellectual things. So he's grown and transitioned into that. But my mom is a sociologist and she's a professor and she's watched kids kind of have to use their own frustrations and solution and create solutions from that. So I always want to encourage the kids that although it might seem like you are alone in your frustrations and problems, we know through social media, we know through the internet, and we know just through going about life that we are not alone and we can't act alone in in things that are difficult. Hey, Brian, did you know the world sucks right now? You know, I had kind of noticed that because, yeah, every day I wake up, I'm like, is this really real life? I would say, yes, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sucky things in the world right now, and we're started a new podcast that's going to fix it. (laughs) 
So I guess we should probably introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Brian Kahn. I'm the managing editor at Earther. And I'm Alex Kranz, the senior consumer tech editor at Gizmodo. And we're here to tell you about a new podcast that we're doing at Gizmodo focused on... Everything! Fixing it! Making it better! Making the world suck a little less. It's called System Reboot. And we're covering a lot of important stuff that we think is really worth hearing and learning about. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of systemic failures across the country and around the world that, you know, the pandemic has really highlighted them, but they've been there all along. And we thought, you know, there has to be a better way to do things. There has to be, from the disastrous food supply chain issues we witnessed really early on in the pandemic to the absolutely shoddy internet that we also saw early on and are seeing a lot more of right now as everybody returns to school. We're going to be diving into the systems that are failing us across the board. And more importantly than examining the things that are failing, we're actually going to talk about what we can do to fix them. That's the whole system reboot idea. Yeah, positivity, man. Yeah, it's kind of novel. We're going to try this out and see how it goes. But you know what we're going to be doing is talking to experts who've spent a lot of time researching these issues and coming up with solutions. So if you don't want to believe that the world is going to end in 2020 and you want to hold on to just a little bit of hope, please check us out. And join us on our quest to fix what's broken. What sort of changes in the literary world or even on social media have you observed since starting a thousand Black girl books? I think one thing I really noticed is the the super valiant effort of teachers to do better. I think they understand that they have a lot of responsibility, and I'm trying to make it especially more clear now that even before virtual learning, but still now that teachers sometimes kids spend more time with teachers than they do their own parents because of the situation that their parents are in, whether it's economically or because of their work or lifestyle or anything like that. So it's super important that the ideas that we instill in our our kids are important and and are neutral and still critical and and talk about ethics and truth, but are also, you know, sometimes personal and sharing who we fully are with other people. So I know they have like a tough job and I can't really blame them for when it gets difficult and hard, especially with e-learning, but I try to be a resource for them. And that's actually one of the things that we we did with bookmarks is by putting it on YouTube. So every episode is available on YouTube for free and you can watch the, the show without having to use a personal subscription. So it's really been, you know, me giving back to them as they give to me with everything I can do to be a support for them. Oh, that's amazing. And the world has really gotten a lot more complicated since you wrote your own book and since launching A Thousand Black Girl Books in 2015. Um, It might be easy for some of us to forget that you're still only 15. Like, <laughs> like I keep hearing, like, you are so well-spoken and mature so in this conversation. You're so poised. <laughs> but you are 15. How have you been adapting to our new normal, our new pandemic stuck-in-the-house normal? And what does that mean for you in terms of school? Well, it's been very difficult for me, and I don't really think it's been easy for anybody. Like, I, I'm okay with not being around my friends as much and things like that, because I've had to have experiences like that before with work and kind of like feeling and sitting in loneliness and things like that. Mm. But I also think this is like a new level. Like, it's not the same as it was before. And, it, and 
And I've been trying to cope with that through like, I got, we adopted a dog in March and I had like learned all these new skills. Like I can solve Rubik's cubes. I can can make videos. Yeah. I'm pretty good at the Rubik's cube too. I can do it in like, in like 50 seconds or something like that. I'm getting clean, but um, I've been, (laughs) I've been trying my best to, you know, do things that that bring me joy and make me, and make me proud of myself, especially because what I do right now is like, it's, it's tiring. You know, I, I know that I, and especially because I don't have to travel, there's a lot, a lot less buffering time. So I can do like five interviews in a day instead of when, if Mm. I was physically going somewhere, it would be two or one because I have to get ready, get dressed, travel, be there and then leave and go to another place. But now things can be stacked. There's a lot more opportunity. A lot of people want to talk to me more, which is good, but it also means that, you know, I have to do my makeup and my hair. I got my nails done. I'm so (laughs) happy about, but you know, things like that have to happen. Um, So it definitely makes me tired, but I'm excited for school. I really, really am because Here's how I feel about school. I like school, but I like learning more than I like school. So when I go to school and I don't feel like I'm learning anything and I don't get to see my friends, then I know I'm going to get really tired of it and I'm going to want to, you know, just head out, but I can't. So I, I think for me, I really, I'm impressed by what my teachers have done and how they've adapted, but I can really hope that it'll be less performance-based, especially given the amount of stressors that are on students and teachers right now. Because a lot of students lose appeal in school because they feel like reading is being used as a punishment. And if they aren't good at something, it means they will never be good at something. And it really, really can create toxic environments. A lot of the times unintentionally, but it can be bad for kids. So we want to make sure that learning is something that's emphasized. And I hope that my teachers can do that because, you know, I'm a student too. And at 15, you're already a role model, and you've also worked with a lot of powerful people at this point. Um, I'm a mentor to a young woman, um, and as a mentor, I know how important it is to have feedback and guidance, especially when you have a platform as large as yours already is. Other than your amazing mother, who would you consider a mentor in your life? I honestly am not too sure. I mean, you have time. <laughs> My mom, we we really like, we spent a lot of time together. And I think that she's definitely guided me to always, to always care about the truth and to choose being happy over being right. Like she always emphasizes that point to me, especially when we get disagreements about things that sometimes I have to choose to be happy over choosing to be right. And I think that's some, a tough decision that a lot of Black people especially have to face. And it's not to say that we need to dim our, our light or, or or refuse to be ourselves in tough situations, but to also understand that sometimes there are moments where it's it's easier to feel free than it is to feel like you prove something. So I try my best to, you know, my mom has really set that example for me and I haven't really felt like I needed that many other mentors, but I, I wish I had more. And I think, you know, there's some people that I definitely look up to online. Like, um, there, I, what's her name? What's her name? Let me find her name. I'm going to go on Instagram. Okay. I got <laughs> so I think Matthew, I think Matthew A. Cherry, who does hair love is someone that I really, really look up to because he was able to take his Kickstarter idea, make it into a book and now is trying to make it into a series. So I admire people like that who have really started, started with something super small and a frustration they had in their own lives and have developed it. 
Um, there's a woman named Brianna King, who's a skateboarder and a model. She is so cool. And she's tall. She's a tall girl like me. So I really like seeing tall girls succeed because it can be, it can be hard, not like hard being tall, but you know, we are sometimes told that we're more masculine or that we aren't uh, a standard of beauty like other women. So it's super cool to see people like her. And I think social media has helped me a lot because there's always little moments of joy on my timeline, whether I know the person or not. So my mom is definitely like my mentor or my my like role model. But there are people I see online every day that, you know, I'm proud to be a, a part of a community with them and get to see them succeed. I love that answer because I'm a tall girl. So, yeah, I totally empathize with all of that. <laughs> you know, and I know that, you know, obviously we're in election year and I know you're you're still too young to vote, but you are a champion of black girls. And I have to ask you. How does how did you feel um, seeing a black woman nominated for the vice presidency? Well, I'm extremely excited, not only because Kamala is a black woman, but because she's also a biracial woman. And I think it's cool for both South Asian girls and black girls to see an example of someone that looks like them. And it's a moment for all girls, really. So I'm really happy that that's happening. And I I hope that, you know, people will make conscious decisions that allow for these moments to happen on local levels too, where I will be able to see that my mayor is a Black woman Mm -hmm. or things like that, because I live in a small white town. So I hope that, you know, this can set a larger precedent to show that we, we can hopefully create cycles of change and that as much as I am super excited to, to see that we have a vice presidential candidate that looks like me, that I could also have people in my communities and on, on more local and smaller levels that are doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I must say, I, I I live in a city where my mayor is a black woman and it does it does make a difference. I live in Chicago. <laughs> you know, it's different. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that the way you have championed the stories of black girls is a political statement in and of itself. And, you know, I do the same here at The Root. So I, I, I personally love that. And I know that you already identify as an activist. Are there any books that you would recommend for young people who are hoping to get more politically engaged? So I think one thing I would first say to young people that want to get politically engaged is that there are many different forms of what that means. I think a lot of the times because of the way that we are taught, whether it's in history class or online, that political awareness or activism is solely about the general and primary election for the president. Mm-hmm. It is not solely that. And the work that I do is not is related to that because I'm fighting for both education, both representation, access for kids. But we sometimes need to focus on things that affect us more directly rather than trying to charge at super large issues. So one of my pieces of advice for kids is that a lot of the times if you ask them, what would you want to fix in the world if you could have one thing? And they might say world peace or ending hunger or solving homelessness. And these things are super, super valid and, and motivators to change the world. We need to start with things that we care about and places that we live. So I live in an area where I do not have any, a lot of people in my town are not food insecure and have access to food that they need. But I live uh, two miles away from a town that has a water crisis near Newark, New Jersey, and does not have enough access for uh, healthy foods for kids, especially now that they aren't physically in school. So I think it's important for kids to look at where they are, what they're surrounded by, and, and how those can contribute to larger issues. Because if you just say you want to solve world hunger, you don't even know where the places that are affected by it. You don't even know how you're affected by it. You need to start smaller um, in order to gain a, a more personal understanding and to also have more just into information, intellect, knowledge, and, and be able to really articulate what the issue is. 
Oh, that's great advice, not just for young people, but for all people. Who are I know. I was like, you articulated better than I could, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking on your, your work as an activist, um, I know that it's not the easiest time right now to have hope in the world, you know, with the pandemic, you know, with uh, unemployment, with so many issues, uh, with the protest movement that has taken to the streets. But young people like you really give people like me and Maisha a lot of hope for the future. So what gives you hope? Um, that's a tough question because I I think sometimes like hope comes with my own like naiveness and the fact that I haven't experienced a lot of the struggles that a lot of some people go through. So I know it's a lot easier for me to be hopeful. And one thing I try to do though, it, it, because I don't feel like, especially when people ask me, what challenges have you, have you faced? What have you overcome? A lot of those things have been internal, whether it's my, my own mental health or my family things. And I, I don't feel like there are many institutions of in my life that are working against me in the same way that other black people are. So I know that I don't, I exist in a place of privilege amongst others. So telling people to be hopeful is something that I don't want to do because I know how annoying it could be to be overly positive and to feel like you're ignoring someone else's struggle. So I think one thing that gives me hope is people's willingness to accept my happiness and to try and translate it into their own lives. I never feel like people want to silence my voice. And I, I feel like people are willing to listen and hopefully, you know, give me access into their lives and to show that and then connect with me. Because I, I think it's easier for me to feel hopeful because people are always saying I give them hope, you know, like yeah. they're willing to accept <laughs> in the, my, my positivity and they're willing to listen to my story and, and understand that I, I'm committed to these things. And, and the fact that I feel so welcomed both personally and in real life and on the internet makes me believe that other kids like me can be welcomed and that I won't be the only kid that gets to do interviews about topics like this. And there will be a future where people are so much more welcoming and accepting to use activism. So I think it's people just being nice to me, to be honest, that gives me hope. <laughs> and people listening to me, like, you know, getting to do interviews and, and stuff like that, it, it provides me with new opportunities and new audiences because there's going to be sometimes where people see my face over and over and over again or whatever, but there'll also be opportunities where people in Omaha and Des Moines have never heard of me and get to see my experience and hopefully relate to it. Oh, that, that was so impressive. And I'm so, so char and just so utterly charming. I'm enchanted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And I was, a, I came from a similar background as to yours, Marley, Same. where, um, I definitely, definitely did not have some of the same struggles that other African Americans had. I, you know, I had my own individual ones or my internal ones. But when it comes to what the common narratives are around the Black experience, I didn't see as much representation of my particular experience as as, as some of others. And so I think it's important for all. I, I, you know, I figured that out at a young age that just because your narrative might not fit whatever the popular narrative is, it doesn't mean that you don't have a say or a voice or an opinion or a calling or a purpose. Like you still have all of those things. You just, as you said, just coming from a particular place of privilege and being aware of that privilege. The fact that you are aware of it, like and that's amazing in of itself, because I know people my age who won't admit <laughs> to have any awareness <laughs> in their privilege, um, their background, whether it be educational, financial, socioeconomic, whatever, they're not, they're mm -hmm. not copping to it. But um, we're going to wrap up and we have this one question that we always like to ask all of our guests. 
what are you reading these days? Oh my gosh. Don't even, I, okay. It's a long story actually this time because I am starting school in three days and I, apparently I signed up for AP language arts. (laughs) Apparently that happened all out of the blue. Not, I was well, like I didn't get my schedule. I didn't really get a chance to plan out my schedule. And I knew I qualified for the course, but I didn't know I was going to take the course. So I'm reading Black Boy by Richard Wright. I uh, just started it about 30 minutes ago. So we're working through it. I have three days working through it, but I'm excited to read it. It's been, a, it's been sort of like the more, more sad or like sad, saddening or t- stern books that I've ever read. Um, and it's kind of scaring me because I'm in a more mature class. Like I've never taken an AP class before, but I'm reading Black Boy by Richard Wright. And hopefully by the time people see this, I'll be done with it. I got an extension, but I really, really hope I'm done with it by the time people see this. Amazing. Marley, it was so wonderful having you on It's Lit. You were a delight. You were a pleasure. Yes. You were a joy. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Please come back. Yeah, of course I will. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Marley. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It'll help other people find the show, which we would really appreciate. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what book are you into these days? Well, you know, I don't have children, so I don't read a lot of children's books, but I do have children in my life. And, you know, one of the books that I've been reading lately to my niece and nephew, I read over uh, Zoom, actually. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> they're in Milwaukee, is I've been reading Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, which is written by Mina Harris, uh, who is uh, Kamala, uh, Maya's daughter and Kamala's niece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is just such a great book to get kids, not actually talking about the democracy and, and our vice presidential candidate, but actually just talking about community organizing and what it means to take responsibility at a small level positive change um, in your community. So I think it's a darling book and I sent it to them and they called me up like, Auntie Mai, Auntie Mai, will you read it? So I did. (laughs) What are you reading, Danielle? Oh, that sounds so cute. That's so amazing. (laughs) Um, I wish I was reading something cute and amazing, but as always, I'm reading something heavy and possibly depressing. Um, I'm reading The Mulata Concubine, Terror, Intimacy, Freedom, and Desire in the Black Transatlantic by Lisa Lisa (laughs) Z. Winters. It's all about the history of biracial women in some cases, free women of color who were mistresses or, well, I don't know if they had much of a choice in this matter. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we're talking um, about like plassage and these kind of customs, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay. So yeah. not a lot of choice, but this is the life that they, that they led. And it's all about how people perceived them. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's so interesting. I just did my 23andMe profile, so that was slightly triggering. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> You know, mine was 
very much. I did the 23 Me a few years back, and I was not super surprised by mine. Like I'm like over 83 83% Sub-Saharan African. See, and I'm I'm 70 something West African, which also did not surprise me. But you know, when they get to that, they do that little crossover. All of a sudden, it gets real muddy real quick. Yeah, <laughs> like there was like a surprise Asian person in my background. I'm like, how did oh. you get there? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, there was also some surprise Native American. Like, wasn't expecting that. So, hey now, but it was very very small. I'm mostly 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 just African. <laughs> <laughs> Well, All it's right, good to have that back. is it for this week. Stay tuned next week, but we'll talk more about our DNA for your, for your reading <laughs> pleasure. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again. <laughs> and until then, keep it lit. Woo! <laughs>